Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. Thank you for joining us for this sermon. You can find all of our sermons at holycommunion.net and our Facebook, YouTube, and podcast channels. Consider hitting like or subscribe. Consider sharing this sermon with others. It helps us to reach more people like you. We are so thankful to those who support our ministry. You can give today at holycommunion.net backslash give. In the name of our loving, life-giving, liberating God. Amen. Please be seated. There was a famous bumper sticker. I used to see it a couple decades ago, more than I do now. And it said simply, when Jesus said, love your enemies, I think he probably meant don't kill them. Do you remember that bumper sticker? It was popular, at least out in California where I was living, during the height of the wars of Iraq, in Iraq and Afghanistan. It was a provocative bumper sticker. And it was provocative for the time, but it provoked by pointing out the timelessness of Jesus' proclamation, his provocation today. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. How are we doing with that in 2022? Love your enemies. If those words were difficult in the 90s and the early 2000s, how much more so now? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Turn the other cheek. Remember, these words come as the second movement in Jesus' Sermon on the Plain in Luke. Jesus is down on a level place, we heard last week, and Jesus starts this sermon by saying, Blessed are the poor. Love your enemies comes after the teaching and the Beatitudes. Last week, preaching on the first part, I quoted a poster to you. The poster said simply, fight poverty, not the poor. Fight poverty, not the poor. I wish those words were less radical. This week, as I was getting ready to preach on love your enemies, I came across a sermon Dr. King preached in 1957 at the Andrew Rankin Memorial Chapel at Howard University in Washington, D.C. He said this in part, There's another thing you must do to love your enemy. When the opportunity presents itself to defeat your enemy, you must not do it. You work to defeat evil systems, but not individuals who are caught up in those systems. You work to defeat evil systems, but not individuals who are caught up in those systems. There's that old phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. I think too often we imagine sin in such small ways, as something personal, private. Dr. King helped us to see that sin has societal stakes. It's bigger than just me. Dr. King endeavored to love the sinner even while he worked against the sin of racism. He fought the sin of oppression. He campaigned against the sin of white supremacy. Dr. King, 
he saw the effects of these great sins and sought to love his opponents. Even as he sought to point out the sin, he sought to draw out the humanity from his enemies. Dr. King believed they were capable of better. Now, in the sermon, he continues, I'm very happy Jesus did not say, like your enemies. There are some people who are pretty difficult to like. There are many Southern politicians that I just do not like. I do not like what they are saying. I do not like what they are doing here in Washington, in Congress. I do not like their attitudes. I do not like what they say about me and my people. But Jesus says, love them. There's a distinction there, and it's important. Dr. King chose to believe even his bitter opponents were capable of better. He chose not to give up, even on those who despised him. He wouldn't give up on them. That's love. We live in days that are fiercely divided. Social scientists tell us we are more polarized today than we perhaps have ever been as a country. Too many of us have given up on one another. Now, polarization has a place. There's a need for polarization at times. And some of you know, before I was a priest, I trained as a community organizer. And the organizing training that the Industrial Areas Foundation, the outfit I trained with, is doing is still based on the teaching of Saul Alinsky the founder of modern organizing. Alinsky argued that there are times you have to polarize. In order to make change, in order to work for justice, you have to polarize. And right now, there are issues which must be polarized. Just this week in Missouri, a senator introduced a ban on transgender F student athletes. That same senator introduced a ban, a total ban, on all diversity, equity, and inclusion curricula in schools. And polarizing against these proposals is critical. Polarizing means saying clearly these amendments are wrong. And if passed, they would hurt kids in our schools. And Saul Alinsky taught that you have to polarize. You have to work to raise awareness, to turn public opinion against policies that perpetuate injustice. In order to win an issue, you have to polarize the issue. But there's a big difference between polarizing an issue polarizing against a policy and polarizing against a person or a party. The same Saul Alinsky taught that those who are working in public life for justice have to learn there are no permanent allies and no permanent enemies. You may disagree with the governor of Missouri on all sorts of issues. But if you agree with the governor on his proposal to raise the minimum wage for state government workers to at least $15 an hour, you should be able to work together to be allies on that issue. Our politics today makes this sort of allyship difficult. State workers making less than $15 an hour might argue it's worth the difficulty. Work it out. If you think we live in divisive times, the times of Jesus were worse, there's some hope there. We sometimes hear the words identity politics used critically in today's America. We don't hold a candle to the identity politics of first century Palestine. 
Jesus got in trouble for spending time with Samaritan women and with Roman soldiers, with tax collectors. One of Jesus' disciples was a zealot, a group which believed in the violent overthrow of the government. In Jesus' story of the call of the disciples in John, Philip first tells Nathaniel about Jesus, and Nathaniel turns back to him and asks, wait, he's from Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? In Jesus' day, everyone was divided against everyone else. Lines were drawn geographically, politically, based on tribe, gender, and religion. And against the backdrop of all that division, all that hateful division, Jesus says, love your enemies. Why would you ever love your enemies? Jesus answers, you will be acting the way the children of the Most High act. God is kind to ungrateful and wicked people. Be compassionate, just as God is compassionate. Our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, doesn't often talk about Christianity as a system of belief. He doesn't spend a lot of time teaching about the creeds, about the things you have to check on your list of beliefs in order to participate in church. Instead, Michael Curry, he talks about our faith as a way of life, as a way of love, as a movement. Michael Curry says Jesus' way is so distinctive in this world, it can be called just that, a way of love. The way of love is a practice. And friends, the reality is that hate is also a practice. Think about it. People practice hate all the time. How many of us regularly practice the angry speech we'd like to give to our boss, our coworker, our family member? How many times have we run through that anger in our head? We can find ourselves pretty naturally rehearsing our hatred, busy repeating it to ourselves. Watch that inner monologue, especially about people with whom you disagree. Jesus makes this command so simply, love your enemies. But we know it's not simple. Love takes practice. That story from Genesis. How many times do you suppose Joseph had to rehearse to himself exactly what he would say when he saw his brothers again? These brothers who, jealous over his relationship with his dad, stole his beloved coat and sold him into slavery in Egypt. How many times do you think Joseph had to quietly rehearse to himself what he was going to say when he saw his brothers? Scripture doesn't tell us. It doesn't give us the inner monologue of Joseph. But I bet it took quite a bit of practice to steady his nerves. I bet it took years to decide to surprise them with love and forgiveness. Love like this takes practice. Why love your enemies? Because practicing love in the end costs you less than practicing hate. The psalm says it pretty well this morning. Let go of anger. Leave anger alone. Leave hate alone. Hate consumes us. Hate embitters. Spending your energy practicing anger, practicing hate, will not help you grow as a person. Hate shrinks. 
Dr. King, of course, said it better. Hate tears down and destroys. That is the purpose of hate. But love builds up. It creates and redeems. An individual may hate you. A race of people may hate you. But just keep on loving. And eventually, through the power of your love, you will break them down. Notice, Dr. King doesn't say kill them with kindness. Dr. King wasn't about just being nice to people. Love is more difficult and deeper than niceness or kindness. Love isn't avoidance. Love isn't just being nice. And sometimes love means standing in opposition. Sometimes loving means sitting in at a lunch counter, means standing in a pack picket line. Love asks us to work for transformation. And sometimes the short-term results aren't nice. Across the centuries, though, many have tried to transform our world through violence. Many have used violence and anger as a way to try to win freedom. Making change through violence invites ongoing violence. That's why Dr. King and the Civil Rights Movement decision to choose nonviolence was so radical. Loving your enemies remains a radical call. It's not easy. It takes practice and patience. That old bumper sticker, like all good bumper stickers, it was meant to catch your attention. The words are meant to be an interruption. It's easy to fall into patterns of hate in this world. In our bitter times, it's easy to get caught up in the way of bitterness. Jesus' words today are meant as an interruption. Love your enemies. You certainly don't have to agree with them. You don't have to vote with them. You don't even have to like them. But in the end, love enlarges your soul. Hate diminishes. Loving more makes you more loving. Hating more just makes you more hateful. There are enough people out there who believe that God wants them to hate. Do we have the courage, even when it's hard, even with its, when it's complicated? What love in the end, what lasting love isn't complicated? Do we have the courage to love even when love asks us to relax our comfortable orthodoxies? Will we listen, Jesus says, to you who will listen? Do we have courage to try and love even our enemies? Amen.